have you ever done something wrong or you've offended somebody and yeah you may have gone and apologized asked for forgiveness and they told you that it's okay but somehow the memory of that incident never lets go that ever happened to you? It seems that the tape of your mistake just keeps playing in your mind over and over again. And you can't shut it off. You ever felt like that? Is there something like that in your life right now? Someone you've offended or something you've done? And yeah, it's supposed to be behind you, but somehow the tape just keeps on playing. My deep prayer this morning, um, and I was very much moved by the last song that the worship team led us in, Hosanna, Hosanna to the Lamb. My prayer for you this morning is that in these next 35 minutes, and as we worship coming out of that, that you will find a freedom this morning that you need. That's been my prayer as I came to church this morning. Some of you, I think, are still holding on to something. And it's kind of like mud in your hands. If you let it go, your hands are still dirty. This morning, my very simple prayer is that you would know what it is to be clean and to be free. So, Father, this morning, may your word and your spirit Touch us deeply and change us. We're not here for information. We're here to meet you. And in meeting you, we will be transformed. Amen. In the opening of the Gospels, John the Baptist has a unique opportunity and privilege which is he gets to introduce Jesus and tell people whom this person, whom remember, is his cousin, who this person really is. He's going to introduce him to the world. And in doing that, he introduces him with a picture which is very deeply rooted in the scriptures, all the way, in fact, from Genesis to Revelation. But this is the picture. And if you have a Bible this morning, and I really encourage you to track with me, you'll turn, please, to John chapter 1, the Gospel of John, chapter 1. Let's start at verse 24. And they're challenging John the Baptist. And we'll see where this conversation goes. John 1, 24. Now some of the Pharisees who had been sent to question him, Why then do you baptize if you're not the Christ nor Elijah the prophet? I baptize water with water, John replied. But among you stands one that you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Then John tells us all of this happened at Bethany, the other side of the Jordan where John was baptized. Just a little note to help you. The next day John, as John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me, 
because he was before me. I myself did not know him. But the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. And the phrase about the identity of Jesus that we want to draw out of that short reading this morning is this one which says that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now what might have been in the writer John's mind when he recorded these words? Why did he use this biblical image? What does the picture of the Lamb mean? And what does that do away with sin? When John the Baptist and John the writer uses this figure, this metaphor of the Lamb, there may be more than one thing he had in his mind. Probably several layers of truth about what the Lamb does. Images that flood into his mind. More than one line of thought. And it's helpful for us to know that that is common in the Gospel of John. Sometimes when John writes, there are several possibilities, each equal in their thought, about what John might mean. And so John the writer, almost as it were, plays a little bit with us. He does not want us to choose one over the other. It's as though John is saying, here's an idea. Now you know that it operates on several different levels. And don't choose, use all of the possible lines of thought of that idea. And this morning that is what we will try to do. And as I often say, all that we can really do is scratch the surface. Notice that when John says... John the Baptist says about his cousin, he describes as the Lamb of God. (laughs) He says, who takes away the sin of the world. Notice he doesn't say the sins of the world. He says the sin of the world. And that's very important. All of us are very aware of the sins that we commit. They're the specific ways that we go off course in our lives. What we say and do. But these individual sins flow out of a state which is a deep well within us, which is a sin. We need to understand that sin is our state and our condition before God. It means all of the different ways in which we try to find meaning and purpose apart from our life from God. And then that flows out of spe- into specific sins. But the real problem, you understand, is our sin. This is our state and our basic condition before God. So this morning, just really very briefly, I want to outline for you four things that sin does. And you will see with me this morning how each one is met and confronted by the presence and the power of the Lamb who undoes or who overturns or who neutralizes the deadly effects of this sin. Each consequence, each outcome of sin is met in a different way by the life and the power of Jesus, the Lamb of God, so that sin becomes disempowered at its very core. Its seductive power and its damaging work is undone by the character and the actions of the one who is the Lamb of God. In the Bible, sin is not swept under the carpet. Sin is not ignored. But rather, sin is faced and dealt with by the person and the work of the Lamb. What sin does in our world and in our lives, the Lamb undoes. That's what we must see. Here's some headings. You need to flesh them out in your own life. First of all, sin imprisons us. And the Lamb offers us freedom. One of the sad sights that we may see every day is that of people as I shared last Sunday, who in a desire for freedom 
of taking the road that leads them to an addictive lifestyle. Addictions may seem to offer freedom. We can do whatever we want. But in fact, addictions actually imprison people. Addictions mortgage our future. They rob us of our freedom for the future. They tie us up in invisible chains. They wrap invisible hands around our throat and strangle us. And let's not be arrogant or smug in our kind of middle class lifestyle this morning. Addictive lifestyles are not just drugs or alcohol or pornography. Addictions include consumerism, because money is addictive. Our desire for more and pride is addictive. Selfishness is addictive. Control is addictive. So is power. And so is ego. Sin includes all of these ways in which we try to meet our innermost needs outside of God. And so we find ourselves trapped and imprisoned. What we think is freedom is actually an illusion. We live in a world of make-believe liberty. We've been tricked. Osgan asked the British philosopher, theologian, says, humanism is a striptease. It offers us really everything but gives us nothing. And by the way, this is a reason for us to come and share this coming Wednesday night in an Ash Wednesday service. Baptist churches, by their tradition, are not liturgical. That's like Anglican or some Lutheran churches. And so we don't do very much with things like Ash Wednesday. I understand in the last few years of the church you've had an Ash Wednesday service. It's coming up this coming Wednesday night. May I encourage you to come? Because Ash Wednesday is desperately needed by Christians in the world in which we live. A world of noise, a world of speed, a world of hurriedness. Ash Wednesday is a paradox in the way, against the way in which we live. But we need it. It is, our, it is the discipline to slow us down. And Ash Wednesday is the beginning of the journey to the cross. Which leads us obviously to Good Friday and then Easter Sunday. Sometimes I think we want to get a resurrection far too fast. We need to start with Ash Wednesday. So it's this Wednesday night, 7.30. So one hour service, it's quiet, it's reflective, and we'll have some readings. Some ways in which you can respond to what God might be saying to you. And as you, there's an um, insert in the bulletin this morning. And also as you leave church this morning, um, you'll be given um, an Ash Wednesday booklet about readings and prayers that you can follow along with that. So please, we invite you to come. 7.30 Wednesday nights, the beginning of the time of Lent. And um, if you ever sort of um, understand what Mardi Gras is in New Orleans, Mardi Gras was the great party before the beginning of Lent. Unfortunately, it's being disconnected from that, and it's just a great party, or some kind of an orgy or something or whatever. Okay? We need Lent as Christians because of the busyness and the noise of our world. So come along. So enter the Lamb who gives us freedom. And when John uses this image of the Lamb, he probably has in his mind, I think, the greatest escape story that was ever written. One that was burned into the life of the nation of of Israel. You remember there was a time there were prisoners in Egypt. Not in an invisible sense, but in a very real sense. And then one night they were told, if you know the story in Exodus chapter 12, they were told to take a lamb and to kill it. 
and to mark the doorposts of their houses with the blood of the Lamb. And as the angel of death passed over the land, so each home that was marked with the blood of the Lamb would be saved. That is the first Passover night, celebrated by Israel every year to remember the night of freedom. The point was simply this, that freedom came to them through the blood of the Lamb. And that is the story of freedom that each one of us must experience. That our lives are marked by the blood of the Lamb, who is Jesus who brings us freedom from all of the invisible ways in which sin binds us and imprisons us. First John is, I think, an absolutely marvelous verse. It says to us, The Son of God has appeared for this purpose. To undo, that means to untie, to loosen us from the works of the devil. Satan's strategy in your life and my life is frankly very simple. It is to tie us up in knots. To tangle our lives and our time and our money and our ambition in such ways that we can hardly move. He mortgages our future. He uses ropes that we do not see, but which leave us bound and chained. And the Lamb says to each one of us, I have come to set you free. I have an escape plan for your life. That's what we were singing about this morning. And also the... the Powerful words out of Charles Wesley's that we sung this morning. I hope you understand the depth and the power in them. When Charles Wesley writes, he breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. See, Charles Wesley understands that our sin is canceled. It's canceled by the blood of the cross. But in so many ways, it still has power over, over us. It still snakes its way around our feet and our ankles. And so Charles Wesley wrote, he breaks the power of canceled sin and he sets the prisoner free. People whose lives have been trapped in addictive lifestyles may need help from organizations that are skilled to address that. AA, NA. People who are seeking their freedom will still battle a disciplined choice every day. But at the very core of our freedom, we ask the Lamb of God to come and set us free. We invite the Lamb to come and set us free from being the kind of person who would think about and do such harmful, destructive things. And then give us the strength to make different choices. Satan wants to tie us up in knots. The Lamb this morning sets you free. Is there something in your life this morning that God says, I have canceled that sin. But it still has power over you. He breaks the power of canceled sin and sets the prisoner free. Hosanna! Hosanna to the Lamb. Another heading Sin shouts denial. And the Lamb stands in silence. See the contrast? You sense the juxtaposition and those ideas? It seems that whenever we find ourselves caught in sin, our first response is often an outburst of denial. It's not my fault. I couldn't help it. You made me do it. It's the government's fault. We learned this skill, frankly, I think, from Adam. When God asked him in the garden about the apple, and his answer is that classic denial. The woman that you gave me, 
He made me do it. We have been doing that ever since. But behind this is a serious issue that prevents healing and renewal in our lives. It is a step of avoidance. It is evading the truth. It is sidestepping responsibility. It is averting blame. And folks, as long as we do that, as long as we avoid the truth, we will never come to healing. We're asking what might have been in John's mind when he said, Behold the Lamb. Let me read a passage for you that he might have thought about. Who has believed our message? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He has no beauty or majesty that would attract him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by man. A man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one for whom men hid their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took our infirmities and carried our sorrows. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep of gone astray. Each one has turned in his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, and yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is silent. So he did not open his mouth. You see, sin wants to speak. Sin wants to shout in his defense. Sin wants to protest some injustice. Sin wants to find an excuse. But the truth has the strength to be silent. Righteousness does not have to shout. And Jesus demonstrates for us the power of silence as the Lamb who chooses to stand in the power of silence. He does this also, by the way, before Pilate. One of the reasons we find it hard in our lives to be silent is the fact that silence makes us feel helpless. You see, we use words to manage and control people. We use words to make excuses. We use words to manipulate situations. But real silence is letting our justification rest with God. We don't have to solve everything. We don't need to straighten everything out. And by the way, we don't need to straighten everybody out. Silence is intimately related to trust. Trusting God with our motives. Trusting God with our character. And ultimately trusting God with ourselves. So the next time we feel the urge, the need to make an excuse to avert responsibility, what would it mean to try silence? Not by the way the silence of biting our tongue. Silence is not always golden. But what about the silence of the lamb? Now here's the opposite of this. Sin heats us with guilt. And the lamb accepts responsibility. It's the opposite of denial, but it's frankly just as deadly. One of the things that sin does is that it tries to heap blame on us. It loads guilt on our shoulders. And you know what? Most of the time we accept it. We did wrong. We know it. We feel it. We can't get the load off our backs. I know that many of us um, have the experience that often the hardest person 
ever to forgive is ourselves. We play the, mis- the tape of some mistake over and over again in our heads. Sin wins a great battle in our lives when we load guilt onto our own hearts. Satan laughs at our faults and he never stops. We need to understand the difference between guilt and its consequences. Mistakes and failings usually are consequences. And let's just understand that we may have to live with the consequences of our sinful actions for some time. So maybe we charge over Christmas too much on our credit cards. And so we're going to have to tighten our belts and pay them off. Being sorry does not pay the bills. I got news for you. Visa does not want your repentance. It just wants your money. So asking for forgiveness does not release us from the consequences. But forgiveness is to release us from the crushing sense of guilt which is at the very core, lies at the very heart of some action. This is where we need freedom. This is where we need to stop the tape that runs ceaselessly in our head. How can you do that? How can I do that? Well, enter the Lamb. John's father, John the Baptist's father, was called Zechariah. Zechariah was a priest. And so John would be very familiar with the sacrifices in the temple. And in the sacrifices in the temple, an unblemished lamb would be brought, laid out in some altar, and a priest such as Zechariah would lay his hand on the lamb's head. The symbol is that he's laying... um, the sins of the people of Israel on the Lamb. And the sins of the people are now being transferred onto the Lamb. And then the Lamb would be sacrificed. It's a story of grace. It's a picture of the mercy of God. That the grace and mercy of God allows the Lamb to be the sacrifice for sin instead of the people. Perhaps another picture. Another layer on that comes from the book of Leviticus. It comes from the Day of Atonement, which is called Yom Kippur. The high priests take two goats, same idea as two lambs. One is sacrificed, and then the priest takes the other live goat, confesses over it the sins of Israel, puts them on the goat, and then he takes the goat, and the goat is released out into the desert. This is where we get the phrase, a scapegoat. Something that takes the blame instead of it falling on us. Where does sin go? We know that we can't sweep it under the carpet. Where does guilt and shame go when we've messed up? When we believe in Jesus, the Lamb of God, we know that our sin and our guilt, our struggles, are transferred from us onto the head of Jesus. It is as though on the cross God lays his hand on the head of Jesus and allows him to take the weight of your sin and the weight of my sin. Marvelous, marvelous verse. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. It says, And God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, so that we might become 
the righteousness of God in him. By the way, that verse has got two sections, and you need both sections. God made him, that's Jesus, who knew no sin to become sin for us. So that, here's the point of that, the purpose of that. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. It's profound truth for the very core of our lives. Is that all that we have done to mess up, is transferred onto the head, onto the person of Jesus. He takes our sin and we are free from sin. But remember... This does not necessarily mean we're free from its consequences. But we can work through them. And the other consequence, by the way, is that we're called to become the righteousness of God. Two consequences. One, that we'll walk out of sin. And the other one is that we will walk with God. Peter says to us, For it was... For you know that it was not with imperishable things such as silver and gold that we redeemed from the empty way of life, handed down to you from our forefathers. But it's with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Do you really understand this morning? Do any of us really understand? depth of that awesome love and mercy on the cross that God took all the heaviness of our lives and sin and placed it on the head of Jesus as it were ladies end in him and the lamb is sacrificed so that you and I could go free so that we could be free for all that God wants us to be Do we understand? Do we understand the awesome depth of the grace and mercy of God in that? That would change us terribly, tremendously. To get just a glimmer of that. Last heading. Sin controls us, but the Lamb is conquered. Satan led Jesus up to the wilderness to tempt him, and that duel in the desert is really a battle for control. Satan wants Jesus to give him control of his life. To bow down and worship him. That would be the ultimate sin. He says, when he shows him all the kingdoms of this world, he says, I will give you all of this if you'll simply bow down and worship him. What Satan wants in our lives is control. To be the one who is in charge of our lives and in charge of our destiny. If you've not done so, younger people, may I encourage you to go and get a copy of C.S. Lewis's Screwtape Letters. But how an older devil sets about training a younger apprentice devil. Very worthwhile reading. How can we oppose the seductive desire of Satan to control and destroy our lives, the lives of people in our world? It takes more than discipline. 
It takes more than self-control. It takes the willpower of strength and mind. But understand that these are external things. It takes bringing the work of the cross to the very heart and center of our lives. And that's internal. What we need is an inside job. And only God truly works on the inside of our lives. Jesus says that in our lives and in the world, victory is achieved not by self-control, not by willpower. Victory is achieved, he says, by the blood of the Lamb. You fast forward with me to the book of Revelation, the last book in the Bible. The main title given to Jesus in that last book of prophecy is the Lamb of God. He is the Lamb that has been slain for the world, but He is risen from the dead. He is power. He has authority. He has victory. He has the final control. And He has the last word in history. All of that belongs to the Lamb. Listen to John as he writes from Patmos. And I invite you to stand. If it helps you this morning to see this picture, you may close your eyes. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders, its seven horns and seven eyes which are the seven spirits of God. He came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and every language and every people and every nation you have made them to be a kingdom of priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth and then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels numbering Thousands upon thousands and ten thousand times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. And in a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praised and honor and glory that's more than a picture to think about it is a vision to inspire us to live each day to think about the one who is the Lamb to be sure this day that our names are written on the book of life and to know that every sin in our lives can be defeated by the power of the Lamb and that one day one day the final victory for our lives the 
final victory for the world. And the last word belongs to the Lamb of God.